Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we'll discuss the case of Angela Simpson Hodges. We hope to answer the following questions. Do snitches deserve stitches? Do you have a good dental insurance plan? And what do you drive nails into? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, welcome back. This is your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. So, Miss Kat, how is things going? Are you working from home or are you working back at the office now? I'm still at home for another week. Nice. Yay. I'm looking forward. It saves on everything. I'm sure. I'm looking forward to that working from home. There is no better than working from home. And I know there's people out there that will disagree with me and that's fine. You can go to the office and have a wonderful time. (laughs) And think of the how much comfortable you are, right? You're just more comfortable in clothing. You're you're comfortable. You're more productive. Yeah. If you want an extra cup of coffee, which I just realized I didn't grab my cup of coffee now. (laughs) Pizza. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. You're pregnant. Just, you know, ring the bell. (laughs) Right. It's not as easy. (laughs) But anyways, I hope everybody really liked our last episode. And speaking of our last episode, we have our Last week's question of the week, and we just want to follow up and give you guys an answer. So, Miss Kat, can you remind our, everyone what our question of the week is? That is, uh, what do you call a male black widow? And the answer is, a man who has murdered more than one of his partners is a bluebeard. And Kat knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it scares me. I was like, oh. No, because I knew it was a really weird word. It's like bluebeard. Yeah. I am not shooketh that you know most of these trivias. I'm like, <laughs> you should have a Jeopardy for true crime, and Kat, you'll probably be the million-dollar winner, and you can retire. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll take stuffed in a trunk for 100 Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of cases. <laughs> I know. Fortunately, it goes, what, up to 1000 <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. The more and more like we have gotten into this true crime stuff, the more I'm like, wow, a lot of trunks and a lot of trash cans. Like what is going on with people? I know. It's not even enough to kill them now. We have to put them in things. Yeah. So now we have psychopathic hoarders. Mm-hmm. Hey, there was this lady that was on hoarders not so long ago that they found a dead body there. They didn't, they thought the stench was just from her hoarding like trash and stuff. Yeah. And come to find out it was like some dead like guy, I don't even know if it was her husband or partner or what. <laughs> oh God! But, yeah, it was pretty freaky. So she kept the dead body. You know, I think there was a movie about that with Anthony Perkins. <laughs> well, let's get our listeners ready to listen to this next case because I'm sure as you get to hear a little bit more of the case, you'll probably know why you know this case or not. But it did go somewhat social media viral. So 
We'll dive into that book. Yeah. So if you thought the last case was kind of wow. Yeah. Buckle up. Arizona <laughs> seems to keep us on our toes, you know? What can I say? Yeah. Just when you think, wow, that's the weirdest case ever. <laughs> nope. Somebody says, hold my beer. <laughs> say less. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just to give you guys a little recap of the case that we're going to be speaking about, it's um, a Phoenix woman has been sentenced to life for a murder in 2009 because she didn't appreciate that the victim was a snitch. She impaled, stabbed, strangled, beat, and extracted his teeth from a disabled man, who she then decided to dismember the body and set the pieces on fire behind a church. And if you didn't guess, it's Miss Angela Simpson Hodges. Yeah, that was... Uh... It was a big deal at the time because nobody had ever really done that. Yeah. To the level she did. Yeah, which was kind of like a, a shocker for because she the way she confessed, right? I think that was the biggest shocker was. Well, it was that and what happened to him up until then. Mm -hmm. You know, every other case is just somebody's been killed. And then for convenience, we've just sort of minimized them and chopped them up, put them in a container to go. Uh, but this case is very, very different. Yes, absolutely. And not in a good way. No. But we will kind of start with a little bit of the background and then kind of the case and how the investigation went down to kind of have an outline of how the case we're going to talk about right now. At the time of all of this, she was fairly young. So Angela was 23 and she had four kids that we knew of. And she did state that in an inter interview that she had suffered from mental health issues since she was 10 years old. That's kind of a little bit of the background that I found on Angela. Did you find anything on her or the victim? Uh, I did on the victim. And that really for both of them, there really was not very much for either of them. It was just more about like what happened and then Nothing so much about the people, but Terry Neely was 46 years old. He was a paraplegic, and he, he did have the ability to stand and, and walk some short distances, but he, he couldn't stand for a long time. So he had a motorized wheelchair. Uh, he had a mental disability, and he was known in the community as being slow, but he was very friendly, easygoing, and very, very well-liked in the community. I think what is interesting about this case is that Angela really had this whole thing in her head that he was a police informant, that he was a snitch, and that is what led to her feeling the need to take matters into her own hand. Yeah, because she just absolutely could not stand snitches. And it was never clear if she just fully flat out believed this, mm -hmm. you know, in her own mind, or they had known each other in passing and they had seen each other. And I don't know being that, you know, he had a mental disability, if he was trying to be liked or he was trying to make himself, you know, bigger and more important than he was. And he was, you know, saying that he was a snitch. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find any background on that. I just know that she believed he was a snitch. She said that he told her that he was a snitch. Right. But we only have her word for that. And Phoenix police denied it. They had no knowledge of him being a snitch and working with them whatsoever. That's what's crazy is that even when they interviewed, hey, are you a part of the, was he a part of the police department or kind of informant or anything? They were like, we don't even know who this guy was. So where she came up with this makes no sense. Yeah, it was either manufactured in her mind, you know, due to the mental illness or in passing or him trying to impress her or whatever. He was like, oh yeah, I'm an informant. 
I work with the Phoenix Police Department. It could have gone that way as well. And that's possible. But there's no there's no evidence one way or the other. I mean, we know that she had it ironclad in her mind that he was a snitch. And also, I mean, she was a lot younger than him, so he was probably trying to be a, like, I could take care of you, like, I, we're, we can be protected. They were neighbors, so they did pass each other in crossings. And um, from my understanding and reading is that that she lured him into her apartment for sex. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was something with, or was it promises for drugs and sex? So there was obviously something that led them to have that type of relationship that she felt comfortable to say, hey, I'm going to promise you drugs and sex. Unless he kind of knew that that was her lifestyle. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. But he just sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, the weird part. Because on August 2nd, of 2009, Terry Neely had been missing for several days after he just walked out of his assisted living facility in his motorized wheelchair. There's a camera of him exiting the building, and that's it. It just makes you wonder, like, how did their engagement start, and where did it, like, how did it lead to this? I mean, I didn't see anything that, you know, she worked at the assisted living facility where he was living at. Yeah, no, I think he was just in and around the apartments. I just think that she just lived there and he was probably out and about, like just using his little uh, motorized wheelchair and probably passed her several times. Yeah, it was just kind of crazy. So then we get to August 5th of 09 and the fire department's called for a residential trash bin on fire. Mm-hmm. So they get there and it was in the parking lot of the Covenant of Grace Church at 7th Street in Peoria. So the fire department's over there, near, 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 and they're, they got the hose and they're, they're working the fire. And as they're starting to put it out between the smoke, all of a sudden somebody looks and goes, hey, that's a body part. They find the charred remains in this trash can. Would you think that, I mean, from my understanding that there's a smell when a human body is... Oh, any flesh. I would think that the firemen would probably already have a, some sort of sus- suspicion whenever they get closer to the fire, right? Oh, I'm sure they did. And then as they're, you know, first things fire, and then they're probably, okay, something's not quite right. They, oh, there's a leg. <laughs> so yeah, they put, they heard, they hurry to put the fire out to, you know, because of the body. And then they are finding out that the body is dismembered in the trash receptacle. In the meantime, the poor church is having some function and the people were there at about nine o'clock. They had some sort of event going on, but the police were able to quickly account for everybody at the church who was doing what at whatever this event was. And everybody at that church was quickly ruled out, you know, but I'm sure the, the poor pastor... Leonard Griffin, you know, he's got something to talk about for a really long time because I don't think much prepares you for stepping out of a, the church with the congregation and finding a, a body smoldering in a trash bin. Right. I think what I want to mention, too, was that if that was the detective or the fireman that showed up and see these uh, body parts, right, you're going to think immediately that it was a male because a woman probably wouldn't have had the strength to cut up a body because it does take some strength, right? So I, I'm pretty sure that their first thought was like, oh, our suspect's got to be a, a guy. How? Did, where did this happen? What's the next steps, right? It could be. And it's not to backtrack, but I'm trying not to laugh because that that would be what most people would think is that that's mm-hmm. something that a type of crime that women don't normally do. And immediately I'm, I have the flashback to Miss Valerie Pape and her cut up, her torso, her cut up body, and then 
my little Winnie, you know, Winnie Ruth Judd, and <laughs> there's that cut up body in a trunk. And I'm like, well, maybe they can. Exactly. And that's what I was trying to like lead to like, okay, y'all, we have these women that have had kind of similar cases where they the bodies are dismembered. And we know that it they weren't alone. Yeah, we can't be sexist anymore, folks. I mean, equal opportunity. No. You know, women are <laughs> capable. They're very capable. So yeah, so for two weeks, the police are, you know, they're really hunting down stuff. And they're really chasing, you know, and trying to investigate. And August 18th, the police went ahead and they arrested Miss Simpson and an Edward McFarlane, who was known on the streets and by the lovely tattoo around his neck as Cracker. And they arrested him for helping her get rid of the body. I'm glad you mentioned the, his nickname and not me. <laughs> Why? Because if I, I would have been like Cracker. Cracker. I would have had like some Southern accent. <laughs> So, but then, so the police arrested her, and according to the court documents, Miss Angela Simpson Hodges was charged with first degree murder, kidnapping, and abandonment or concealment of a dead body. That's horrible. My thought is on this case, which makes me think like she had four kids. So, where were these kids at, right? And where did this case happen, or where did this, the, the murder happen and the torture happen? Like, were there not neighbors around? Like, that's. A lot of I have a lot of questions about this that never really can be discovered unless we ask Angela directly. Yeah, uh, she's going to say what she thinks she wants us to hear. Yeah, it was interesting because the police were notified of residents in and around this apartment complex. They found Neely's wheelchair, and so they tipped off police. So they found the wheelchair. So they had to figure, well, he can't be too far. And what I thought was interesting was the police did obtain warrants, but they started searching apartments. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if they just sort of had a blanketed. I'm not really sure how usually, you know, you need a specific, this address, we're looking for this specific thing, but they were going and I don't know if people were just being cooperative and go, yeah, look, there, there's no cut up body in my house by all means, you know, take a look. Mm -hmm. But they were searching different apartments and they found... The one where it happened, but it was an abandoned apartment. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how populated this apartment building was. I'm not even sure how large a, a building or complex it was, but here's this abandoned room. And they found a big chunk of carpet missing. There was blood, a lot of blood everywhere. There was definitely spatter, blood all around. And then the ultimate telltale sign the gallon of bleach by the sink there's always bleach somewhere yes. but you're right i mean when we get into the details of what happened how's nobody hearing this okay so i looked up the address that was apparently in the court documents mm -hmm. just because i was like i didn't look to see how much that was but it looks like a small like it's eight units two stories that's it and actually these apartments apparently were used to be for resident doctors. Hmm. I know they stopped doing that, but it's off of 12th Street over by John C. Lincoln Hospital. Yeah, because they used to have like the, the doctor and residence quarters mm -hmm. back in the day, and they had the nurse quarters uh, where people just stay. They were kind of dorm. But this was the second floor apartment. Mm -hmm. So it says it's an eight unit, two stories apartment complex. So it's small. So where was anybody else? Exactly. Like I said, it may, unless it was a residence, like the residence uh, apartment living for the hospital, 
And those doctors weren't there because they were at the hospital and it was quiet and dead. So they wouldn't have heard anything during the day, at least. Yeah. But it's weird because this, this wasn't something that took 20 minutes. No. So as, as we get into this and explain more, I, it just really makes me like, how did nobody hear this? Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a neighbor or somebody that was around. Well, in that whole area, there's always people walking by. It's a, what is that community area called? Sunny Slope. Oh, yeah. That's the Sunny Slope area. So there is a high, just north of that, there's a lot of like homeless and a lot of people that are always out on the street that they would have not heard right. of. Right. And, and Sunny Slope's always kind of had that reputation. Mm-hmm. It's just been kind of hippies and... People just out and about that vibe. Yeah. That whole different vibe type of thing. And Sunny Slope has is, is been that way. Forever. I mean, even when it was miles north of, from Phoenix, you know, back in the day, that's just the little pocket of area that it was. <laughs> but it's weird because they did move the body and they had a witness that talks about they borrowed his car. Mm-hmm. So there was somebody around somewhere to borrow a car from. Right. But what I thought was interesting was when they returned the car, the witness claimed that Simpson told him she'd kill him and cut up the body and would kill anyone who said anything about it. So she's already threatening and intimidating a witness. She was already in ready for the next victim, to be honest, I think. But yeah, the police spent two hard weeks investigating this and, and coming down with it. And then there was the story that Simpson lured Neely up to the a vacant apartment you know, for sex and or drugs or some combination. Hmm. And so he was able to move enough to get up the stairs. She got him up to the second floor apartment. And then she just turned on him. She turned on him fast. She went super violent, like in one, two, three. I think she closed the door and was on him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it I think it happened that fast. She was just all over him. She was arrested on August 19th. And then it wasn't until they arrested her that she pretty much confessed on Kind of what happened, how we found out what happened to Mr. Neely. Right. And I think after Mr. Neely and they set him on fire, her and Cracker <laughs> Cracker, got together and they went and they did an armed robbery. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was interesting that after the fact that she had time to think about it, she's like, you know, I should have killed him too, but I had some place to go. So this is going to be a, a trigger warning for our listeners that we're going to share a little graphic kind of of what she shared that she did to Mr. Neely, but also just as, just as a kind of like a trigger warning so people know. If you don't want to listen, you might want to skip this part, but if you're gruesome, you can keep on listening. So what she's stating is that once she's in the apartment, she tells the police that she can she starts beating him with a tire iron and a hammer, right? Yeah. But I think the most gruesome part of it was how she was pulling his teeth and having him watch in front of a mirror. Yeah, she tied him to a chair. So, like, the only thing in the apartment was, like, this full-length mirror mm-hmm. and this chair. She set him in front of the chair, and she tied him to this chair. And he was there for three days, mm-hmm. tied to this chair. As we describe the things that happened to him, they never, she never really said the order. But I have to, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, with the, we keep saying, well, how come nobody heard anything? One of the things that she did do to him was she did slice his throat, Hmm. not enough to kill him, but enough to just really cause pain. And maybe he just... There was no way for him to to yell. Right. 
And then she was conking him over the head uh, with the tire iron multiple times. So now he's like dazed and he probably doesn't have it in him to yell. So here he is in this chair tied down in this mirror and she's taking her time, just taking pliers and just pulling his teeth one at a time. Now, that takes some energy. Mm-hmm. It's painful as all get out. I mean, can you just imagine at what is 32 teeth? Just even the strength, like. Yeah, that's not, I mean, okay, maybe you grab a, you know, take a plier and grab a front tooth and ooh, you know, but we're talking molars. Okay, she, I can't even imagine. I mean, I worked for a dentist and I used to assist the dentist on getting tooth extractions. And this dentist was a man, okay, and he struggled pulling molars out. So I can't imagine what happened. Even if she used pliers, there's a chance that she probably broke a tooth. So she didn't remove it all the way from the root, right? It was broken too. So that would have caused even more pain with that nerve being exposed. That causes so much pain. It's unbearable. Yeah, I. it's hard to think of a pain that could be worse than that. So, you know, she's beating him over the head. She yanked his teeth out one by one. She was burning him. And then she used three different knives, because why stop at one? Three different knives and stabbed him over 50 times. The body, the neck, and like not to kill him, but just, she's just stabbing him. For him to have that pain. And just poking him for him to have pain. And bad as the teeth are, the other thing was she took a three-inch rusty nail and pounded it in his forehead, into his skull and his brain, just pounded a nail. And he's alive through all of this. Every single thing that that she did to him, he was alive. And even the medical examiner had said that. So she had done all of this. And I don't know if she, she so much ran out of time, but I think by the time he got to day three, no food, no water, no anything, never got out of the chair. He was in such pain. I, he was passing out and... I think he just slumped over in the chair. Loss of blood too. Yeah, loss of blood. And then I think he just slumped. And then she's like, well, this isn't any fun. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a audiovisual coaxial cable in the apartment. And she just wrapped that around his neck and finished him off. Right. By the time she did that, you know, he had to be just so far gone. I mean, it was three days. Three days of torture. Three solid days. No food, no water, no break, no out of the chair. Exactly. And he just collapsed. And so she, you know, finished him off, strangled him. And then she's like, well, now what do we do with him? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because the witness had said that he had seen a Phoenix trash can in this apartment. I guess he was walking by one day. So they got the trash can first, you know, again, like knowing what she was going to do. She kind of had a pre-planned what was going to be the next steps. Yeah. I'm curious, like, whose card did they borrow? <laughs> yeah, it, it, just, it just said witness. They didn't release the name, so she has no regret. Mm-mm. No regret whatsoever. Uh, you're very upfront. Pretty much. About talking about this killing. Right. You, you murdered this man. Yes. You tortured him. Of course. There is no ambiguity and there is nothing you want to... S- in court today, you said uh, you're not here to pretend to be remorseful. Of course not. Why would I do that? So, you know, her own words, there's just, just zero remorse. Absolutely none. At all. You know, and it's just sad because, you know, she just thought, you know, it was the whole snitch thing and that was just the way to go. You know, and even with her 
torturing, she still wished she could do more. Yeah, she was ready to do more. She wished she she could have done the torturing for at least uh, a week. All I have to say is that this was the worst torturing that I can think of. Like I said, the teeth part and coming that I worked from the, in the dental world for a while. I mean, I just I can't even imagine. The incident, can you tell me anything about what happened during those three days while you were... What do you mean? uh, I took him to my house, walked him down the street. I don't know why the media acts like the motherfucker couldn't walk. He walked very well. Walked him upstairs, kicked his ass, and killed him. So there's just like... Like pride. There's some pride. Pride and just, yeah, like, well, of course I did it. Like, who wouldn't? I mean, she just has no holes barred. She loves, like, that she's getting this attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's uh, let's just say that this case has definitely left me a little shooketh, <laughs> as I like to say. <laughs> but I want to um, kind of really dive in a little deep about her confession and why she went viral. And, you know, kind of leave some unanswered questions that, you know, to our, to our listeners so that they can kind of ponder a little bit. But... Before then, we'll save that for our part two for Miss Angela Simpson Hodges, and we'll share our last question of the week for next week. So, Miss Kath, if you want to go ahead and read that question for us today. Okay. It is, whose basement holds the brain of John Wayne Gacy? Ooh. Me and brains. I love brains. (laughs) (laughs) Not- Abby normal? Like a little, like- you know, maybe because I was into Alzheimer's, that's why, guys, okay? Because of medical reasons, not not for psychopath reasons. <laughs> the question just sort of tickles me because I it's like, okay, what did John Wayne Gacy do? Buried bodies in the basement. Mm-hmm. And now his brain's in the basement. Now his brain's in somebody's basement. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. No. <laughs> Well, I want to thank all our listeners for listening to us and continue following us on social media, on our Facebook page and our Facebook group and our website. Our blog is getting going, so we um, have been posting some things now, so we're really excited about our blog going. And make sure to share our podcast with all your friends and family. On We're on every platform. Yeah, absolutely. And again, on the Facebook page, and now that the website is really finally getting up and cooking, please feel free to comment and uh, answer our questions. Yes. Take a stab at it. <laughs> Take a stab at it. <laughs> and uh, we'll have our next episode will be the continuation of Angela Simpson. Yeah. So again, thank you guys for listening and hanging out. And all that. And just want everybody to stay safe and have a good week. Yes. Take care now. Be safe. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime one or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. 
Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nick Olin for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Nith for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.